Well, this morning, I'm drawing our attention in that uh, second reading that we had, Luke's Gospel, right at the end, in verse 20, when we learn that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. All the things that they had heard and seen. And the title is this. Actually, we have heard and seen a lot too. That we have, friends. That we have heard and seen a lot too. Now, that doesn't mean that we've had to sort of buy some flight of imagination, take ourselves and try to imagine ourselves as shepherds, as though we were out there in the countryside around Bethlehem, keeping watch over our flocks by night. I don't suppose many of us here, in truth, know too much about shepherding, and certainly not about shepherding that uh, time, in that period of history, or in that part of the world. No, we didn't have to actually be there. Isn't it interesting that uh, there's more about the shepherds than there is about uh, Caesar Augustus? He gets a brief mention, quickly done, at the beginning of Luke 2, and Quirinius, who was governing Syria, and historic records that prove that fact too. But we're just given some context, and then, as much as anything in this passage, we're there with the shepherds and what they saw and what they did. Well, we weren't quite there. We didn't quite see, hear the angels. We didn't quite attend that stable, outhouse, whatever it was there that uh, was not the inn in any case and was far less than the accommodation that the inn would have offered and certainly uh, a better place to keep a baby there would have been surely elsewhere than there in that stable where the child was in a manger. No, we didn't have to see it for ourselves. We didn't have to hear these things for ourselves they still count for us because actually, while we have this book and we have this narrative that we can read, we can say, actually, yes, we've also heard and seen a lot as well. First heading then, they hadn't expected to hear and see these things. By the end of that passage, sure, there there were things for them to hear and to see, But they hadn't started out that night when they began their vigil out in the fields, their their duty and the clock tom to to do this work. They had not been expecting this. This was not on their agenda. I guess they had not even thought it an exceptional night, as though there was something in the air. There may be nothing of it at all in that way. And neither might they themselves have been at their best. They might have sat out there and, well, they had a lot to moan about, actually, a lot to grumble about, the pay and conditions and the rest of it there and the hours they're expected to work and the little pay that they got and they didn't get paid over much as shepherds. You can well believe this was not a great sort of occupation. Uh, this was pretty poor pay and pretty poor conditions. And they might have been even talking about quitting, doing something else, or joining some other kind of employer, uh, looking out for some other flocks in some other place. Maybe they thought maybe Nazareth was, was a better place than around here in Bethlehem, and that they were preparing maybe to quit and, uh, and go off somewhere else for, for their work. 
They may not have been in kind of good mood with each other. Maybe a bit upset. Maybe somebody had uh, had a sickie and, you know, kind of uh, done a bit less and got paid a bit more for the little less that they'd done. There was a bit of a bad attitude there. Maybe they've been arguing. Maybe they've been grumbling at each other. Maybe they just found, you know, there's company there. Imagine it, out there and spending those hours. Uh, you, you can sort of switch on something or idly flick through social media just to kind of pass a bit of the time away. There, there was no Spotify or music on channel there that you could just tune into. You had each other. And some of them perhaps were boring and bored each other. And they were always going on about the same thing again and again, or just full of themselves and tall stories that they were telling. Who knows? They may not have been in the best of fettle, not all one happy, harmonious group of shepherds out there in the fields. And then suddenly an angel appears. And whatever they were talking about, if they're talking about anything, that's now very much on hold. And if if they had been not at their best with each other, and they'd just been having an argument or something like that when the angel appeared, uh, there might have been a little mortification sense of shame uh, about these things when suddenly they're in the presence of this heavenly visitor. If they set out that uh, that day earlier when they went out into the fields, when they started their, their turn out there as shepherds, if they had not been supernaturalists, let's call them that, if they'd not been people who overmuch considered that whatever else was in the Bible or the Old Testament was really worth giving much credence to. We'll talk of miracles and the dead being raised, the Red Sea being parted, mountains splitting and such things. If that to them was just so much of a story, uh, by the end of this evening, they were deeply, deeply supernaturalists. They, they believed in a supernatural world. They believed in supernatural beings and how, and they were not uh, too shy to go and to talk to others about this. Not only one angel, because soon the one angel was joined by a multitude of the heavenly hosts, and they were all in chorus there saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Yeah, they were very much supernaturalists now. They believed in another realm, further dimensions than simply a uh, sheep and fields and grass and things you can see and touch and the pay which buys you your daily bread. They, they'd had their minds open to some other world entirely. And they could hardly not go to Bethlehem, having had such a, an urgent message impressed upon them by angels no less. And uh, that is what they, they reason. And so that we find them traveling, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They're not skeptics. They're not, well, let's go and see him. Don't believe it myself. I don't know, what stuff about babies, swaddling cloths, manger. Hmm. No, they were fully persuaded that there was something that they were going to see uh, when they, they got there. And a baby it was. That's what they found, exactly as they had been reported to them. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Well, again, uh, I don't know whether these shepherds were sort of 
feely, touchy sort of shepherds, comfortable with babies and kind of happy to sort of stoop over the manger and kind of smile and coo, I don't know. Uh, if these were just ordinary kinds of men uh, in those days, I doubt that they, though married, fathers had attended perhaps the, the birth of their child. They might have been out in the fields, unable to do it. They might not have been exactly sort of baby kind of people, comfortable with newborn babies and, and sort of just so there with that. But whether they were or not, they couldn't but marvel at this, know that this was exceptional and that this baby was exceptional. And even though exceptional, it couldn't have been lost on them that this baby was extremely ordinary. This, this was just a, an ordinary baby in respect to what babies would be and would look like. There was not some sort of halo hanging over the child that the stable was not sort of full of, of light and somehow other angelic beings there. It was Joseph and Mary there. The angels had gone, gone into heaven. And there was an extreme ordinariness about this, but also extreme extraordinariness. And the extraordinariness was not that there were halos there or that the, somehow the, the, the manger was sort of turned to gold, but that it was a manger and a very, very ordinary manger. It was a feeding trough. There was this child that the angels had come to tell them about, exceptional child, just wrapped in swaddling cloths, which was very ordinary, and extraordinarily in a manger, just as they had been told. And maybe that was the part that might have made them balk a little bit, going to see a child wrapped in swaddling cloths. Well, no, we, we can understand that, but in a manger... Well, this really we must see. And this is exactly what they did see. And maybe too, while they were there, there were Joseph and Mary, perhaps uh, quite exhausted from just having given birth. But they may have spoken with them. I'm sure Joseph and Mary had been interested to know how the shepherds had suddenly sort of turned up, this sort of welcoming committee of the most unlikely people. It wasn't mothers who came and, ah, oh, yes, I'm... I've given birth to, and I know what you must be feeling. Um, shepherds perhaps wouldn't have had a clue what Mary would have been feeling, but there they were. And that must have been of interest to Joseph and Mary and to hear about the angels that had told them. And then they themselves perhaps are able to say to the shepherds that, yes, they, they too had had a real experience of angels. The angel Gabriel had, had come to Mary and Joseph had been spoken to in a dream by, by an angel. And there would have been quite a few sort of angel kind of accounts that they've been able to swap and, and tell each other. So really, this, this was something indeed there. And they went out, the shepherds did, and they made it known. All the things they had heard and seen. And by the time that night was finished, their own experience of angels and seeing this baby precisely as described, knowing that this child was to be a saviour, who is Christ the Lord, and also hearing the accounts of Joseph and Mary, whatever else they were talking about before, wasn't paying conditions anymore, if that's what they were talking about, wasn't grumbling at each other. Uh, it was a, a sense of absolute astonishment. Second heading, something for us to see and hear. Something for us to see and hear. Because Luke, the writer of this gospel, under God, help the Holy Spirit, giving him 
the accounts and bringing people to him. He must have spoken to the shepherds. There's nobody else that could have told him this. Uh, the shepherds must have, one of them, two of them, others of them, the report that they had told. Luke, being a doctor, the beloved physician, as he's called by the apostle Paul, that he would have checked his sources. He would have wanted to know for himself. He wanted the eyewitness accounts. And the shepherds, only the shepherds could have provided that. And so here it is, recorded for us. These nameless shepherds, Caesar Augustus, his name's there, Quirinius, the appointed governor of Syria, that sort of wider province in which all this action takes place. Uh, there's nothing that they can contribute to this. There's no insights that they have. No, we rely on the shepherds. And here it is, all recorded for us. And Luke must also have spoken. Perhaps Joseph had passed away by the time that uh, these things came to be written. But Mary surely would have furnished a, a full account of what happened. There was no room at the inn. And this is how it took place. And this is all recorded for us here. The Bible is for us our eyes and ears. It is telling us things that have been heard and seen. And then while we haven't got the shepherds here, we weren't there with them. We weren't standing alongside them. But it's here for us now to read. It's here for me to speak to you about it this, this happy morning indeed. We can see it. We can hear it too, as it had been reported. And we can do it with absolute sense of reliance upon this. It's a faithful record. This is a, a stable authority. This is not a, a kind of a made up story, a few kind of people who had an opinion to give and uh, just shared really their ignorance. These are people who saw it. And the Bible takes of that eyewitness account and makes it a record actually of what God would have us to hear and to see. God stoops to having Joseph and Mary bring their accounts and and these shepherds to give their account and to report what the angels had said to them. But he wants us to hear it today. And he wants us to hear it up until the day when this child in the manger is the returning triumphant king coming in very real resplendent glory with trumpet, with a shout of the angel, with a shaking of all the the natural orders that we rely upon. And God wants us to be able to rest our hope, rest our, our trust and all that we can place in something here in the Bible, in his account, his record, his use of the Bible to be our eyes and our ears to tell us these things that we can ourselves receive. And of course, it travels on. And uh, it's fascinating to read after this, uh, circumcision and the naming of the Lord Jesus after eight days. And then when time for Mary's purification, their trip to the temple in Jerusalem and everything that happens there, Simeon and Anna and their, their speaking of this child. On oh, it travels, of course, since his time just growing up in Nazareth, of which we learn so, so little. And then suddenly, public ministry erupting onto the stage of human history, going in the power of the Holy Spirit, 
performing signs, wonders, miracles, teaching parables, interacting with the Pharisees and showing the teachers of the law that they, they knew nothing compared to this teacher, this man who speaks unlike any other man has ever spoken. And so he travels on to a death, to a cross, flesh that was there in the birth, very clearly flesh, a baby, very ordinary in that sense, and destined to die an extraordinary death. If it was a manger, that was where he began, a cross, which is last breath on earth, a terrible place, an awful place of punishment, so public, so dreadful to behold. That's as the swaddling cloths and lying in a manger evoked its own wonder, then it evoked a different wonder when he was put to such public humiliation and treated with the kind of death reserved for the worst of criminals. But then the Bible would have us also then gladden our hearts with his resurrection. Then he came back from the grave, this child, God, come in the flesh. Well, for us who haven't seen but have believed, the Bible actually says there is a blessing. That's just as it was for doubting Thomas, the resurrection appearance of the Lord. It didn't appear to Thomas first, but then a week later did. Thomas, having expressed doubt, unless he can put his fingers in the nail prints and put his hand in the side where the spear was thrust into the Lord on the cross, he would not believe. But then he sees the risen Lord and he does believe. Oh, Lord, my God, he exclaims. And the Lord tells him, well, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And here we have the Bible, our ears and our eyes, telling us these things, that we can hear them, in a sense, see them and believe in them and actually receive the blessing of God for that. Myths, not fairy stories, not tall stories, sober facts, Sober witnesses, extraordinary things told by ordinary people and preserved by God in this Bible, in this book, for us to be able to hear and see these things today, this very morning. So what did it do for the shepherds? Well, they went back to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. There is us with a noble duty this morning to sing the things we sing, these hymns and carols that we sort of reserve for this time of the year. Though in truth, we could sing them any time of the year if we wish, but they've rather become typecast, and it's now that we sing them, uh, and sing them we do, because there it is, all recorded for us. And we open up these passages of Scripture and Prophet Micah, obscure, not understanding all the parts of it there, I'm sure we didn't, but nevertheless, there is that key fact that he was born in Bethlehem. We see it, we hear it, and we sing it. And my next and final heading, we must ensure it's seen and heard by others. But it made a difference for the shepherds, it did. And we're not just talking about sheep and, I don't know, different flocks and how that flock down the way and across the fields there is better looked after than theirs, or conversely, I don't look after their sheep at all, those shepherds are absolutely useless, that kind of thing. No, they are now glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. It made a difference to them. And this makes a difference to us too, that we can 
see it by faith. We can hear the reports as God, as it were, presses it upon us and seizes us by the lapels and says, listen to this, hear it, see it for yourself. Wonder at it. You praise God and you glorify him in return. And we should seek those of us who are mastered by this, by this narrative, ensure that others hear it and see it too. That it's beauty, it's simplicity, it is wonder that all these circumstances, all these parts that fitted together and made it happen, that this was entirely the intention of God. And then tell it to another generation. It was lovely, actually. Uh, Carol's round the, the tree on, on Thursday evening. I guess most of us probably weren't there, but uh, well, I was there. And um, it was lovely, actually, to see some of the children that, that I recognised from the infant school. Some of us there uh, see me struggling up the hill every Tuesday morning with my board to go and sip the Velcro pictures on and tell the children some of the things from the Bible. And saw some of the children and uh, mother of one of them there, six, seven-year-olds, helping them to follow the Christmas carols, singing them, had Preich brass there, didn't we? And what a good sound they made. And well, we reckon the singing this, this year was, was up on previous years. But it, there was this mother just helping them to follow the lines and what we're singing now and maybe even just giving a little bit of an interpretation here and there for those words. That's good. Because one fears at times that it's all being lost and that it's not being passed from one generation to another. So what we've heard and what we have seen and what we possess here by way of this Bible account, this is how it happened. And the hymns, the carols that, that express it. So much of it we fear is sort of fading away, lost to the, the sort of public consciousness, gone from our culture, just leaving a kind of distant memory in its place. Well, we, we want to say the things that we've heard and seen. We want to sing the things we've heard and seen. Here we are this morning. We're singing these things, not because we've nothing better to do or we haven't got homes to go back to or something, and we come here just for the sake of it. We come here because we believe it, <laughs> and we want to sing it, and we would that other people would, would sing it too, would hear and see these things preserved for us. So we keep the details in mind so that we don't lose the wonder of it. We preserve those details and tell them, tell them again. We keep the significance in mind. This is something, isn't it? It's a saviour. That's who's been born, a saviour. This isn't just a wow story. This isn't just given for a kind of wow. That's, that's fascinating. I like that in a manger, you say? It was all prophesied and angels came. Wow. Well, yes, there's plenty of wow in it. It's meant to be. But the significance, of course, is this, that God wasn't just putting on a sort of spectacular, not a kind of fireworksy sort of display there just to catch our eye and, and give us something there to, to G up a little bit of, for us, the sort of dark time of the year. That's the significance is for us. It's for our sakes. It's because we need saving from our sins. That's what we're singing. We don't sing it because it's just a kind of words that you just sort of say. It's the truth. We need saving from our sins. We, we're alienated from God. We, we're apart from him. That's this goodwill and this peace we need, and we need to know he's giving it to us 
that we can be pardoned for sin, all the offense we cause God, the sadnesses we cause each other, and all of the, the lack which is within us, sin steals from us, a love for God, a, an instinctive desire to praise him, rather than a sort of extracted from us praise and worship. No, sin has stolen away from us, friends, and God has come to restore and sent his son to restore. And so all I described as he goes forward into life and then into death, that's for our sakes, that no baby with real flesh, not God come in the flesh, then there can be no death and there needs to be a death because God actually, in his son, dies in the place of sinners ruined by the fall, subject to condemnation. That's the glorious good tidings. This is the great joy that salvation is for people who will believe this, who will hear it, see it by faith, receive it, and that that is given to all mankind, no matter who we are, however young, however old, however in between, however strong in health, lacking health, whatever prospects we have, lack of prospects we have, there's the greatest prospect that you can know heaven and you can be prepared for heaven and the coming of heaven. And when we die and go from this place, we, we can be sure actually of a, a safe and happy landing in God's presence and to know his joy and peace, the very things that are promised to us here. And that is because there is a savior given, a savior who will die for his people, who will lay down his life for his own. And in a way, the manger gives it away doesn't it that he's not come to be some sort of great sort of figure that we see as a military conqueror some extraordinary doer but this is God with us Emmanuel God come in the flesh to dwell among us to serve us by dying in our place that God can pardon our sin by visiting our punishment on him and can take then of his glory His beauty and his excellence can actually clothe us with it, make us fit for heaven. And all of our uncleanness and untidiness and unbelief and pride and the rest, no, he can annul all that, cancel all that, and give us instead the holiness of his son, that the father's love can there be drawn to us, embrace us, and show us then his heavenly home above. So we keep singing it. And we keep telling it. And if God gives us breath next Christmas, we'll still be singing it and we'll still be telling it because there is such, such good news for us all. Oh, would, would that people would believe it, would that they would hear it because herein is our hope. Herein is our joy. And this Christ is a living Christ set at God's right hand on high and able to give mercy, grace from heaven, Peace to the soul, troubled consciences, given hope and rest, and us then move to adore and praise this great Saviour who is Christ the Lord. May his blessing rest upon each and every one of us this Christmas time. May we know those good wishes of heaven settling upon us, more valuable than any good wishes and best wishes that I can bring. And may that be our very hope on into this new year, whatever it holds, and that we, like the shepherds, will be glorifying and praising God for all the things that we have heard and that we have seen.
Amen.